welcome to ChamberCast, the Billings Chamber of Commerce's podcast, brought to you by Payne West Insurance. The local school district is really important to the business community and the Billings Chamber. We've had a number of different episodes about the school district in the past, and the superintendent of School District 2 is an ex-officio member on the Chamber Board of Directors. Well, that seat is about to change. Greg Upham is about to retire, and Dr. Erwin Garcia has been brought in to take over that position. I'm joined today by both of those individuals. Thank you both very much for joining me today. Thank you for having us, Jack. So, Dr. Irwin, uh, since you're new to Billings and new to this role, uh, can you just share a little bit about uh, who you are, your background, and uh, what drew you to this position? Yeah, definitely. I started about 17 years ago as a teacher. I was a self-contained fourth grade bilingual teacher and uh, did that for about six years. Became an assistant principal in the work as an assistant principal. And the principal, she was new, I was new to the role. We had to work with poverty schools. And Sanchez Elementary back then uh, became, uh, went from being a low-performing campus to one of the highest-performing campus in Texas, 99% poverty. And a lot of challenges, neighborhood students performing just like any other child in the city of Houston. And later that uh, later uh, in the years, that school became uh, nationally recognized by the National Center of Urban School Transformation, ENCAS, as a bronze and then silver. So two years in a row, the school was performing at a high level. Then I became the principal of the ANDA Elementary, and we kind of replicated the work that we did. And the ANDA became uh, America's best urban school, according to the same organization, ENCAS and the same poverty level and uh, very proud of the work that we did. I thought I was going to be a principal for life, but I was called to support other campuses. Of course, supporting other campuses is not like you take one school and you place it on, on another campus, right? It's total different culture, total different mindsets and expectations. Challenges are very different. So my role was now to support principals and Back then, I supported about 10, 12 principals at a time. I did that for five years. I supported all levels, elementary, middle, and high school, specialty high schools, and very, various themes within um, the school setting, Montessori, bilingual, dual language, and all of those things. Uh, then I became, I was asked, I was called to serve as an area superintendent in Houston, I served about 53, 55 campuses, actually, my first year. And I had all levels, you know, schools performing at an A level. I only had 10 of those. I had a good number of B, Cs. But I also had F level schools, which F is schools that are performing at a very, very low level, uh, an acceptable performance, if we can call them that way. Where mm-hmm. we took those two schools out of an acceptable performance in one year, they became B rated campuses, and we moved. Instead of having 10 A-rated, we went to 30 A-rated campuses. So the highest performance for those 30. And of course, this year that ended, our push is to increase, was to increase that um, quality of education for all students, because actually that's the implication. And then, of course, I was ready to be a superintendent. Um, I thought about uh, moving to a location where I can raise my family. Uh, I have two boys, 11 and 10 years of age. Uh, my wife and I, we thought about this decision. 
And we wanted a place where we can raise our children. And that was our priority uh, in a healthy environment, an environment that value nature, an environment that um, value outdoors. My wife was still in college and I wanted her to finish her bachelor's degree. And she did in 2000, in 2022. So we discussed, we prayed, and we uh, saw the opportunity to come to Billings, Montana. And here we are. I really want to get in more into the uh, to what drew you from Houston all the way up here to Billings. Uh, but first, Superintendent Upham, you've been in this position for how long now? Five years. Okay. Uh, and in that time... From from our perspective, uh, some really good things have happened in School District Two, uh, the Career Center, the Career Pathways program that you and Bo Brunsma have have developed that we talked about in a previous episode. A lot of you know really good things have happened in our school district lately, but and a lot of challenges as well. What are some of the most rewarding things about your roles and responsibilities in your tenure as superintendent so far? No, thank you for the question, Jack. And as as I've said before, and I want to say again, I really appreciate the support that the chamber has given the schools. I think we really worked well, uh, and and I'm sure we'll continue to work well because, like what you said at the beginning of this of this podcast, was that you know it's imperative that an education system is uh, be critical to the community and the and the business community too. You know it it uh, you know when you reflect back on on the last five years uh, and the going through a pandemic, none of us have, had ever been through a pandemic, uh, was probably the greatest challenge uh, in my 36 years of being in education. But at the same time, maybe the most gratifying too, after some of the pressures off and looking back at what we were able to do. And I, I think the most important thing for our community and our students and our families is we stayed in school. And other than when the governor put us in mandatory quarantine, but just, just having the courage to open the schools up and having our staff have the ability to be in the buildings and the students take advantage of both online learning if they chose to do that and teachers and, and students alike and then to be in live instruction. Yeah. Yeah. And so and that was, I completely agree. That had to be one of the biggest challenges, not just for the school, but for just about everybody going through that experience. Um, what, are you, what are some of the highlights that you'd want to point to? You know, I think... Uh, y- y- it's a reminder, I think, for all of us. And if you've ever attended a graduation at the Metra, you know, we we graduate all three schools in that same day, 10 to 10 a.m., 2 o'clock and 6 o'clock at night. And we range anywhere from six to 8,000 people for each graduation. And, and I think the 2020 graduation, when we weren't going to graduate and we had the graduation, uh, was probably one of the highlights of my career. Just the importance of that and seeing the emotions in parents. And even though, you know, we were only allowed to bring two people and we sat six feet apart. It's interesting. I have a photo in our big, a big wall photo in our, one of our conference rooms. It's an historical photo of Billings West graduation where you see, you know, roughly 400 and some odd students sitting six feet apart with N95 masks on and then had, and it's in the Metra. And then you see in the crowds where t- people are seated to to a pod, and then they're spaced. It was just it's just really an interesting photograph. But but having those students be able to graduate was probably one of the highlights of my career. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that. That really is like a little piece of history mm-hmm. from this time. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Superintendent Upham, I want to ask you about 
some of the uh, unfinished work that you uh, can imagine that you're going to be handing off to Dr. Garcia. And then Dr. Garcia, independent of that, I'd like to ask you just what some of your goals are uh, for stepping into this role. So we'll start with unfinished business. Sure. And I, I, I'm pleased that Dr. Garcia has chosen to come to Billings. And, you know, as he has reiterated his experience, the number one reason I came to Billings really wasn't to be a superintendent. That's not what, that's not what my final goal was. My goal was to increase student achievement. And I had been monitoring it across the state of Montana with AA schools specifically, because I had been in Helena and I had come down to Billings a couple of times and had given a few presentations and talks on just being able to monitor yourself to see what percentage of your students are on benchmark. And so that's unfinished business. We made some good gains in that area. But I think what Dr. Garcia will bring to the table will take it even further. And that's that's a benefit to this community. So I'm excited about that for Dr. Garcia in the district. And connecting uh, what Greg just mentioned, I think he's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, we also came through a pandemic and I, I can relate to the challenges that, you know, we're facing this community. And we we want to build upon what has been built. Uh, as you walk around the, the schools and have been able to pretty much connect with every single principal and school in Billings for the past month or month and a half, I've seen a lot of things that are going really well. Uh, one of those is uh, the community and the teachers, the, the faculty, they truly want to do what's best for kids. And we take that for granted, but not everybody thinks that way. This is a community that is really thinking about improving. It's a community that really thinks about children. And that doesn't happen just because. So I want to give kudos to Greg and his team because that's intentional. You can't, if it's not intentional, you will go to some campuses that would have it. Some would have it at a low level and some wouldn't even have it. But in this community, I see that passion, the teachers, the, the, the principals, the professionals that we have, everybody wants to do what's right. So I want to take that. I want to leverage on that. The academic achievement has increased for billings and kudos to the team. What is it that I want to do? course, build upon that. So I want to leverage what has worked, the career center, the expansion of the dual credit, the expansion of AP offerings, the, uh, you know, connecting the great work that is happening in this community and stretching it even further. Of course, you know, the concept of going from good to great is a concept that is easier said than done. But of course, I have to have aspirations. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here in this, in this place. My aspirations are we need to move from good to great. And some of the campuses are actually great to excellence. And I know Greg wants that for this community. And I mm -hmm. want this for this community. And we need to have excellent schools. We have an excellent city, beautiful city, beautiful scenery, great people, great history. So why can we strive to be Excellent. So that's the push that I want to build um, for this community. And I can go in more details on specific actions later if you want, but kind of I want to leverage what's already in place. How, when we talk about going to having excellent schools, how do we measure that? Is it test scores? Is it a variety of different factors? What does an excellent school look like? Yeah, excellent school, number one, is every child has an opportunity to grow at least one year worth of instruction. 
So uh, when you look at the data, most, most of our schools are growing on a range of about 40 to 60. That's kind of the range. 40 to 60% of our students are making that one year worth of growth. So growth is critical, but we also have to take into account achievement. So when you look at the proficient and advanced levels, we have opportunities there. Uh, we see it kind of, if I were to do rough park numbers, about 50% of our population of students are at that proficient or above levels. Before that, there's a, also a level where you pass the test. And so I wouldn't say that it's 50% of the kids passing the test. More kids are passing the test. But I think we are to strive for those levels, those high levels of achievement. Um, so an excellent school is a school that is absolutely dedicated in all of their efforts by design to increase that student achievement. And the willingness might be there, but there's a lot that we have to do as a district to align the services, to align the professional de development, to align the support that we provide to principals and the principals provide to the teachers. So for instance, PLCs is something that Greg has been, you know, he has been very intentional about PLCs. And honestly, some of these PLCs are models. What, what is a POC? A PLC, oh, great. Thank you for that question. A PLC is a professional learning community. Okay. So it is the concept of the entire school community working to solve critical issues. But those critical issues are related to not only to instruction, but other issues, but mostly focus on instruction. So teachers unpack the standards that come from the state. Teachers also pays those standards. So what are we going to teach on day one? What are we going to teach on day two? How those standards align? And how, what are the best instructional practices that are going to strengthen that delivery of lessons? Mm. And how is that lesson going to be measured? So what is the assessment? So the teachers get together and let's say third grade teachers get together and they plan together those lessons. That is a vital element of the work in education. That's coming from Houston and coming from schools that have had high achievement and high growth. That has been the critical element, but those elements already exist here. So my goal is not to change that, right? I want to leverage that, mm -hmm. especially considering there are some schools that are models on that. So, but I know not all schools are models. So if we want to have excellent schools, we have to have model PLCs. But for that, we have to have principles that are fully committed, that are not only looking at the PLC from the distance, but they're involved in the PLC process, right? So I, at this time, I cannot tell you how many, how much, and mm -hmm. what percentage, but that's the goal. A hundred percent of principals being involved, doing the pre-work to support the teachers, the coaching that is necessary for that lesson to be of high quality. But also we have to talk about interventions because as we know, some students are not, are not there yet. And which, with just regular instruction, the student is not going to grow one year worth of instruction. So we have to put systems in place. Some of those systems already exist, but I guess it's the alignment, the resources, um, the you know, personnel that is needed uh, to be able to provide that tier two, tier three level of, in, uh, of support for those students. So we can ensure that every child grows that one year worth of, of knowledge in any content area. Okay. Superintendent Upton, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? I don't think so. I think Dr. Garcia touched on it very clearly, and, and that's kind of how 
how we look at it. And when you when you measure success, it's basically what percent of your students are demonstrating where there's where they need to be when they're supposed to be. And and we have that assessment data and the and the framework in place to watch that. Uh, I'd like to have both of you touch on this, but what do you think are some of the challenges that we're going to have to overcome in order to hit those goals? Well, I think you know what I've I've talked about this quite a bit in the in the media and 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 publicly is you know there's been a destabilization of the family structure that I've watched through my 36 years, and when you look and that 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 statement isn't isn't a blame it's just a fact and when you look at the way that the education system was designed it was designed with a much different family structure and it was designed when one parent usually mom stayed home and assisted the education process in any and all capacities whether that was reading or math at the kitchen table or whether that was you had a science project that was due or we're going to do this on Saturday and all of those things. And we don't have that type of family. That family is, is not, is not the high percentage of, of people that we have. And so the challenge is going to be, you know, to say, you know, we want more third graders reading on grade level. And the system was designed for a much different family structure is to assist that family and improve our instruction and take a look at the calendar. Is that enough days? And do we have enough interventions in place for students who are having difficulty reading. And I would say that we don't, and that becomes a resource issue, right? And so, you know, the, the, I think that is the biggest, it's, it's re-looking at the system. And then there are many challenges on the system right now. There's, they want there are, there are pressures, legislative pressures to take public funds and move them to private entities. And what is that going to do? And is that going to create the competition that's going to create a better school, you know? So there's a lot of issues out there. And and basically, if we learned anything from COVID when we were shut down, is schools are more important now than they ever have been because families are so busy just trying to survive that, that they absolutely need the schools. Yeah. So we, number one, we have to have an effective principal in every school and we have to have an effective teacher in every campus. And I know that that is not necessarily an issue of wanting to do not like people struggle to do what's right. I think is, do we have the tools and the conditions? And some of those challenges when it comes to the conditions for principals and teachers to be successful are related to, to their, like, for instance, let's look at salaries, right? For starting teachers, you know, it's only about $42,000, $43,000. How is that attractive to, to professionals that work in this city to actually go to education or someone to pursue education, to be a teacher. When you take student loans and, and you have to pay, you know, be in debt for $30,000 and then come to the workforce for 40 something thousand dollars, that's a challenge. Be able to attract highly qualified individuals with the salaries, salary structure that we have. And I know that's not necessarily a billings issue. I think that's a Montana issue and it has to do a lot with how we fund schools and Greg can definitely expand on that topic. But if I were to move beyond the external locus of control, you know, be beyond the school setting, I'm moving to the school setting. Some of the challenges is, you know, it's human nature, right? We, people resist change, change just by, by nature, number one. Number two, people like to be comfortable. And, but also people want to do what's right. So then how do we leverage the wanting to do what's right for kids? and challenge the process a little bit more. So people can do, can do work that is slightly different, can be willing to accept a new idea, to tweak something, to change something, to adjust something. 
that's always going to be a challenge, especially for someone coming in as a superintendent. Uh, but that's why I'm in the seat because it's not through force, it's not through strength or through the hammer that you go and do these things. It's through coaching, it's through support, it's through people really seeing your values and they're seeing that you care about children and they respect that and they follow that lead. I think that's the, the greatest um, yield, uh, high yield strategy that a, a superintendent can use is really the power of influence, the power of leadership with his team to impact that change. That actually dovetails very nicely into another question that I wanted to ask, because you're both leaders of a very large organization and many of our listeners are also going to be business leaders. So, you know, what is some leadership advice that has been really impactful for both of you? What is, uh, what are some leadership words that you live by? Yeah, I can start uh, saying um, one thing is to know that there is a problem and another is to have the courage to address it. And I think humans, is, it isn't when we make the wrong choices it, it, or the choices that are not the best choices, it's not because we don't know. It's really that we don't have the courage, the tenacity to confront them. And for me, that it, it touches my, my, my life as a person because I, I strive for make my, making myself uncomfortable. Just, you know, moving from Houston to Montana. Um, I'm actually gaining a lot of things, right? I'm, I'm getting, I'm losing the humidity and the heat, you know, of Texas, which I'm very excited about going to Montana, <laughs> beating, looking at this beautiful scenery. I'm gaining a lot, but I'm also sacrificing a lot. You know, yeah. there's a lot of sacrifices, but I'm willing to do that because I feel that there's a call. I feel that there's a need and that my expertise matches that need. So challenge myself to have the courage to do what's right for kids is what I know many people in this community want for the schools. They, they're, they're willing to be uncomfortable. Now we have to push the, the ones that are not so willing to be uncomfortable so we can give them that courage, I guess, by inspiration, by motivating them, or just by the system itself is structured in a way that you move or you move. Because other people will hold you accountable if you're not moving. And that's when the culture really changes. Sure. Superintendent Upham, what have, what's some leadership advice that's been successful for you? Sure. I, you know, when I reflect back, I, I think probably some of the best advice I could give people is that in order to, to, to create high results, um, you have to have a high functioning team, which is, you know, okay, well, that's not, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But the way that you do that is you empower those around you and, and, and it doesn't matter what position they hold, but as long as everyone's clear on what the objectives are and then empower those around you to take responsibility and be decision makers, let them play the game with you. Don't, you don't have to be the person that makes every decision. You, at the end, you're going to make the decisions that no one else wants to make, um, and then once they know that, I think that's important. But, and in order to get that level, that type of culture, people have to feel that they're working with you as a leader, not for you. And that's one of the things that people have said to me time and time and time again is, because I will correct them. If, if we're in a group and we're in a meeting or we're meeting people who we've invited in for something and they'll say, well, I work for Superintendent Upham and I'll correct them right away. And I'll say, you don't work for me, you work with me. 
And I think that's important. And that feedback has come back for me in all levels, whether it's been a, a person who is in charge of taking care of the building to overseeing curriculum to a person who's in charge of the maintenance of the building. I, I don't want people to think that they work for me. I think we work with, and that way they share some responsibility. But at the same time, when you give people that level of responsibility and they respond to it, then you hold them to a higher standard because their decisions are actually impacting the system, but they're in a much different place than they were if they're working for you instead of with you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that does mm -hmm. make sense. Yeah. The Billings Chamber is really focused on uh, workforce attraction and retention right now. Um, and so one of the questions I've been asking people is, uh, how long have you been in Billings and what keeps you here? I mean, first, uh, Superintendent Upham, I know you've gotten this question before, but I'll, I'll ask you just to repeat your answer to that for this episode. Yeah, I, I, you know, five years, obviously. And, and, you know, what, what keep, what, what my attraction to Billings has been, and now granted I'm a Montana native, but, uh, is the people. And I, I appreciate Montana. I think the older I've gotten, the more I've appreciated the culture of Montana. Uh, we have a, a work ethic that is very strong. Uh, we have a sense of community that comes from a lot of a lot of agricultural ranch farm backgrounds where people had to rely on each other to survive and they had to rely on their neighbor um, to do the same thing. And I like that. That's kind of the old saying that's why don't you come and have supper? I've, I've, I've been invited to dinner. I don't know how many times <laughs> since I've lived here. Right. And that's not that's not the norm, but that's that's ingrained in this community. And it's one thing that I've shared with groups such as the chamber and big sky economic development council and all the boards that I, that I sat on or have sat on is, you know, you, you really have to protect this small town feel inside, inside Montana's largest city uh, because it has it. And I think it's from the agricultural background. I, I really do. There's a lot of farm and ranch families, kids, if you will, adults that brought that mindset with them. And it's a very important piece in the culture of Billings. So, Dr. Garcia, I am really curious why Billings, uh, you know, why m make that move from Houston to Montana? Yep. So, um, number one, readiness, ready to be a superintendent. And when I talked to the consulting firm that was doing the search, they asked me, so where would you like to go? And I clearly stated the places I wouldn't go. And a, a lot has to do with values. And going back to what Greg just said, the greatest asset that I see in Billings is the people. And we can take it for granted. Sounds like, it sounds like a, uh, I guess, like an easy statement to make, but I've worked in communities and not necessarily Houston, in other communities where the problem is exactly the people. Hmm. It's interesting. Um, changing mindsets, it's, it's, abs it's very complex especially when you are working with kids. If you don't have the right mindset for kids, you shouldn't be in the business of educating children, period. And I've had to deal with that a lot. But coming to Billings, that's something that is very refreshing. And that has to do with the values that I'm able to perceive, right? So when we were doing our initial research about Billings, uh, you know, through just our own research as a family, we were able to read some of those values and, and see some of the things that Greg is, is talking about. But then when you actually come to Billings and you experience what daily life, daily, daily life is in, in this city, you now see 
you get that feeling, the quality of people, the environment, the family orientation. So to attract those, the, the new people coming into buildings, right? That workforce. I would say, hopefully we can continue having those strong values, those family values, that commodarity, that respect in the community. Without and being able to sacrifice, I guess, the strategy, which those two things can actually go hand in hand, solid within the values that we have in Billings. And I now I said, we, because I'm a part of this community now, moving to and, and be able to compromise, I guess, on the, the way we do things, but never on the values, the things that really matter the most. And take a look at the nation. You see how polarized our cities have become how divided, how disgruntled. And that's not what we want for this city. We can be at the same table having completely different opinions on topics, but we can never compromise on being respectful, even within having opinions, difference of opinions, or sharing supper, as Greg just mentioned, right? Together, even though we have different ideas and different opinions. So... What attracted me is the idea that I can raise my kids in this community, in a, in a community that respects, in a community that values family, that enjoys nature the way we do in buildings, uh, that have conservative values. And that's something that for me is very, and for my family is very important. And without discriminating people that think differently, of course, mm -hmm. especially in a school setting. But the values of the city, the quality of the people, that's what really attracts us to be in this city. Okay. Thank you very much for all that. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to ask a couple of kind of, you know, more lighthearted rapid fire kind of questions. Um, I'm always curious about this, especially people who are involved in uh, professions like education. Uh, for both of you, what's on your nightstand right now? What, are, what have you been reading lately? Start with the why is the book that I'm in now. It was given to me by Dr. Hickswad, MSUB, and uh, I don't remember the author right off the top is that, of my head. Is that Simon Sinek? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. One start, of my favorites. Start with the why. And so I'm enjoying the book. Uh, there's a book that I, I, I've read, but I always go back to look for some quotes. It's called The Atomic Habits. It is. It I is. just finished really? that book. It's, okay. I've been recommending it to everybody. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's actually great for systemic change, but it actually goes back to what really makes change, right? And that goes back to, you know, it's not about beliefs. It's actually habits. It's actually the things that you do on a daily basis that can actually turn your beliefs around. So Atomic Habits is a book that I highly recommend. I just heard somebody talking the other day about, um, you know, the shortage of teachers that we have in the country and uh, wondering if, you know, the, the way that we train electricians and plumbers is that they do an apprenticeship and they, you know, they earn money while they're learning their trade and they, you know, they get on the job experience and all that kind of thing. Um, do you think that there's a better way that we could be training teachers? Do you think that an apprenticeship model for teachers is, would be appropriate? Do teachers need a college degree in order to be able to do their job? If we don't change, there aren't enough people to fill the teaching jobs. So let's just be honest with ourselves. Do we maintain the same track of preparation? I think at the very least, we should try some different tracks. I, I think we should see, we won't know if it if it's good or bad until we try it and see how successful that is but really at the end of the day 
to be an effective educator is you have to have people skills. You, if you can't, if you can't, like Dr. Garcia said, one, if you don't like students, well, don't get in it. Right. <laughs> um, Cause you have to like kids. I mean, you just do. And, and they're fun, but at the same time, it's your ability to relate to people that, that creates the, you can't teach someone something unless you can connect with them. That's just the way it is. Now, if I'm a high, if I'm an advanced learner, we've all run into the situations where we've had the professor that, you know, barely can say hello, but can surely teach me the quantum theory that's needed. And I don't need that relationship. Okay, fine. But if, if I'm not that type of learner and I need that relationship to learn, yeah. then, then yes, I, I think we should try some different ways to, to do this. I really do because I'm concerned we are, as of last week, uh, I don't have the, the most current data, but as of last week, we had 21 teaching openings in Billings at this point in time. That's absolutely unheard of. And so, and it's not going to get any better. It's, there's too many issues at hand. So I'd go on the record and say, yes, I think we need to try some different ways, but they have to, you have to have a way to be able to assess whether that person's going to be successful in that classroom uh, with a new form before you ever put them in there. Because once they're in the classroom, there's no turning back. You could ruin a person's career within five days. Mm. If they lost control of the classroom and they can't relate and there doesn't look like there could be any um, sunshine over the hill, you could ruin a career in a, in a week. You really can because you can't, I can't simulate, you can't simulate a classroom of, of 20 third graders and have four or five of them that have severe behavior issues. You, so it's not just that easy. There would have to be some, some processes set up so that that individual has a fair shot. The, sure. the process we have now, four or five years of college, that's a lot. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's a lot of preparation. There's maturity in there. And then you've, you've got an extended period of student teaching where you're in there with a licensed professional so that when those third graders go off shift, you don't have to shoulder that full responsibility. You know, So it, it would have to be something in that arena. But the point that I'm trying to make here is, is 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 less going to be as good less time mm. right because that's what you're saying yeah. can i can i get in the classroom with a certificate within two years i don't i don't know that i think until we try it we won't know yeah so i agree with greg definitely that um we need to do something different if we want different results and uh, the apprenticeship model compensated that something that I've seen being used to attract teachers that definitely helps when you are, um, let's say, in an alternative certification program, you're a professional in another career, you want to become a teacher, you can be paid one year while you are learning the craft in, in the classroom with a highly effective teacher. I've seen that. But of course, that brings another challenge, and that has to do with um, budget. Uh, also, I've seen alternative certification programs where you're not necessarily compensated, but you are allowed to come through the process uh, from other fields uh, by getting uh, some modules and having a first year of experience on a probationary type of context. Um, we definitely have to really have the conversation about salaries and how much do we value education? And that's something the community definitely does, but is that enough value when you compare other countries 
in the world where um, people line up to be teachers in those countries. And they have the highest um, outcomes for students. Now, thinking about Finland, thinking about South Korea, thinking about other countries that are doing a lot of investment in education. Are we making education the priority? And I think it should be the priority because, as you know, this is what opens the field for innovation. It opens the field for, for the future, you know, technology and the technological advances that we experience and the workforce that we see that we need more and more require some fundamental education. So I think we, we, it requires a deeper conversation how we are compensating the people that are working with the most a value asset. If you think about it, what is my greatest treasure as a, as a parent of two? There's nothing more valuable in my life than my own kids. So am I willing to pay the price for them to get the quality education that that deserves? So I know that's a greater conversation, um, but we have to do something different if we want different results. Yeah. yeah. So, Thank you both very much for your time today. And thank you both for all of the work that you're doing for this critical part of our community. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much to Superintendent Upham and Dr. Garcia for joining us today. And thank you very much to Payne West for sponsoring this podcast. Be sure to check the show notes for other episodes that we've done in the past related to School District 2 if you want to learn more. If you would like to suggest a topic or ask a question, please feel free to email us at podcast at billingschamber.com. If you like what you hear, please remember to rate us on your preferred podcast platform or recommend us to a friend. And don't forget to subscribe to Chambercast wherever you get your podcasts because there is something here for everyone.